wanted to talk to you a little bit today about um, spiritual life because I've been really focusing on this idea of what it means to uh, walk in the spirit, to have kind of spiritual renewal and a, and a, a, a new spiritual focus, uh, especially in 2017. And we talk a lot about spiritual life around here. We talk a lot about the ways in which uh, God and, and Jesus and his Holy Spirit can do something in our spirits. And, and, and the reality is we don't often take the time to define spirit, do we? We don't often take the time to talk about who God is and, and why it's important that we talk about spiritual life at all. And there are some of us in the room, maybe, maybe, and not all, but maybe, that think we kind of have spiritual life figured out. We have a lot of answers uh, when it comes to spiritual life and what that really means. And it's always fascinating to me when people say that they have, uh, you know, they've pretty much got their spiritual life figured out. Because even Jesus had a really difficult time wrapping language around and describing and defining spiritual life. Uh, look up here on the screen, the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus in John 3, verse 8. Now, Jesus says this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thank you, confusing Jesus. That was really helpful. We, we, we're not even sure, I mean, we'll talk about it in a minute, but Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, look, when we start to talk about life in the spirit, when we start to talk about tending to our spirit, it's a little like the wind. I mean, you see the effects of the wind, you see the leaves move and the branches move, and maybe you get up one morning and there's branches all over your house and all that stuff. We see the effects of the wind, but we're not even really sure where it's coming from or where it's going. It kind of does and moves as it pleases. He says that it's a little bit that way when it comes to life in the Spirit of God. Like, that's, that's not the encouraging Jesus that I like to read about. I don't know about you. It's like, thank you very much. That does not help me at all. But here's what we're going to do this morning. What we're, what we're going to do is, is camp out in this passage, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Many of you know John 3, 16. We're not even going to get there. We're just going to talk about John chapter 3, 1 through 8. And talk about this heart posture before God that allows us to experience spiritual life. And, and we're going to talk about why that's so critical. Why it's so critical that we dial into and tend to our spiritual well-being. And where I want to lead us this morning over the course of the next 35 minutes or so here is to three questions that I would love for you to ask yourself today and maybe even have in your back pocket going forward. Three questions that we're going to learn from Nicodemus and specifically his heart posture before Jesus in this conversation about spiritual life. Three questions that you can have to help you grow and tend to your spiritual life. Does that sound good? Great, because I don't have anything else, so that's what we're going to do. So here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk a little bit about why this is so critical. So would you join me in prayer? God, we are grateful that you are here with us in and through your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we call you King and Lord because that's what you are. We don't always behave that way, but it's always true that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, ruling and reigning even now. God, we love you and we praise you and we invite you to speak very clearly to your church this morning. In Christ's name, God's people together said, 
Amen. Uh, as I thought about where should I begin a sermon on spiritual life, I thought of, of Julie Andrews in Sound of Music. Have you seen The Sound of Music? Let's begin at the what? Beginning, because that's a very good place to start. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. See, we already see from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, something unique about spiritual life. This word spirit here in uh, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 is the Hebrew word ruach. Ruach. Everybody say that with me. It's, it's got that fun, like, like hairball cat sound at the end of it, okay? Say, say ruach. Okay, now wipe the spit off your neighbor's head in front of you there that you just spit on their head. Ruach, it, it means breath. It means wind. It means spirit. So the author of Genesis is saying to us that in the beginning, as God begins to create his spirit, the, the breath of God is hovering over the surface of the water. And what the author of Genesis is telling us is simply this, that God is spirit. God is spirit. Yes, 2,000 years ago, God became man in Jesus. Yes, God is Father. Yes, God is ruling on his throne. But God is spirit. He's not a physical, material being. He manifests himself in physical things, pillar of fire, pillar of smoke. We can see God in his creation, according to Romans 1. But really, God is spirit. Ruach, breath of God, hovered over the surface of the deep. God is spirit. And so as God begins to create, he creates plants and animals, and he creates fish in the sea and birds in the air, and he creates vegetation, and he creates the sun and moon and stars, and then he gets to the crown jewel of his creation. That's you. That's me, by the way, man and woman, male and female. And Genesis 1.27 tells us this, that he created man in his own image. I love this word image because it means um, like, uh, like little figurines that look like God. That's how he created you and me, in his image, with the same kind of blueprint and the same DNA, the same type of stuff that defines God. He created us in that same way. He created us in his image. In the image of God, he created him, that's man, male and female, he created them. So here's my question for the scripture. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? If God created us in his image, are we, are we shaped like God? Do we always think like God? But remember, we just said that God is spirit, right? So look at what Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 tells us about his creation. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, this is fascinating to me for a couple reasons. One, it's because on the planet... There were already living creatures, weren't there? By the time God gets to creating man, over here, male and female, he's already created what? Birds and fish and whales and opossums or whatever, you know, beavers and grasshoppers and all kinds of weird frogs with different glands in their eyes. I was reading some of the National Geographic yesterday about frogs who have like a gland underneath their eyes. God is really creative. I mean, it's just amazing to me. And after he creates all of those things, he creates man, and then he says that man became a living being. Why would the Bible, God inspiring his words, be recorded for us to get to know him, make such a big deal about man becoming a living being? There are already living beings on the planet, aren't there? 
Like, what, what is it that makes it kind of worth, worthy of a distinction here, worthwhile to set man aside and say, man became a living being? Well, it's in this key word here, breath. Breath. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This word, breath, is the exact same word or derivative of the word ruach. So one of the aspects of, of us being created in the image of God is that you are spirit. You are spirit. That's the life that God has given you. He did not give that to animals. They don't have a spirit. Love you. Love my dog. Love your dogs and cats and iguanas or whatever pets you have. They don't have a spirit. But you do because you, you were made in the image of God. You are spirit. As one of my favorite theologians, uh, C.S. Lewis, once said, you are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body. This is why Paul says in the New Testament that this body that we're living in currently is like a tent. It's like a temporary dwelling place. But the you that's really you is the invisible, immaterial part of you. It's your spirit. C.S. Lewis is even using that word soul and spirit interchangeably there. It's the you that's really you. That's what really defines you. That's what really makes you unique is your spirit. And I want to prove it to you, even not by using uh, the scripture here, but by using a couple of philosophical arguments. The first is this. If a lion kills a gazelle in the middle of the Serengeti, what do we say to the lion? Enjoy your snack, right? Lion does not do anything morally wrong. But let's say I was to kill and eat my friend Ryan here, which sounds totally absurd because he's got a lot bigger shoulders than I do. Let's say I was to kill and eat Ryan. What would you say to me? You should be incarcerated, right? Like you're a cannibal. Why? Because we were made in the image of God and we were given a spirit, we have unique value. It makes us different than the animals. The you that's really you is the invisible, immaterial part of you, and it gives you the choice between right and wrong, good and bad. It gives you ways to see the world in, from spiritual eyes and spiritual perspective. How about let's do it this way? Think of the last time that you went to an open casket funeral. I know it's a little bit of a macabre thing to say, and for some of you that might even bring back painful memories, but stick with me here. It will demonstrate to you that the world around us even recognizes that we are spiritual beings. We are more than what you can touch, taste, and see, okay? Last time you went to an open casket funeral, there are all kinds of emotions that are prevailing in that environment. There's grief, sadness, and loss, and fear, even like joy sometimes at funerals. You ever, you ever been in those situations where somebody tells a story about the person that's deceased and everybody laughs and like there's all kinds of different emotions. But the emotion that kind of undergirds it all, when you kind of pass by that casket and see this body, this temporary tent that's laying in the casket, what do you think to yourself? The person that I knew is no longer there. Like, that's not them in there. That was just a shell. That was just a tent. That was just a temporary home. The spirit has now separated from the body. The immaterial, invisible part of them that makes them really them is no longer there in that place. You see, you are spirit. It's where courage comes from. It's where sacrifice comes from. It's where love and relationships come from. You may think your dog loves you. Your dog does not love you in the same way a human being could love another human being. Why? Because we are spirit and God made us in his image and that's who he is. That's his character. Now, here's the thing. If God is spirit, 
and we are spirit because he made us in his image, then how do you expect that you and I are going to relate to God? On a spiritual level, right? We relate to God on a spiritual level. We interact with God on a spiritual level. We talk to God on a spiritual level. We don't necessarily hear God. Sometimes that happens on occasion. We can't necessarily touch God or experience God with our five senses, but we can interact with him and converse with him on a spiritual level. The bummer is that we have tried to solve our internal spiritual problems, that the, the fracturedness, if that's a word that I can coin this morning, give me grace if you would, the the, the, the disengagement, the spiritual disengagement that we have with God and, and that internal part of us, the us that's really us, the us that's longing for life, that uh, the us, the spirit inside of us that needs a divine touch from God's spirit, that needs to interact with God, that needs to relate with God. We don't always know how to do that. Sometimes it becomes a little more complicated. And so what we've done, get this. Now, this is crazy to me. We have, as a society, constructed a world that helps kind of take the edge off of those spiritual longings and meets some of those needs, those internal needs, with external stuff to make us forget that we're broken on the inside, that the part of us that's really us needs a touch from God. Society has created and we have created some lies that we tell ourselves that say, if you buy this new thing, or if you drive this different car, or if you could get your abs a little more ripped, <laughs> then you will solve your internal spiritual problems. As a matter of fact, marketing uh, kind of strategy and ad slogans are created in order to appeal to the spiritual part of you. I'm not kidding. I was reading an article in Psychology Today just a couple weeks ago that talked about the most successful ad slogans of all time tap into and scratch a human spiritual itch. They scratch our spiritual itch. What are the most popular ad slogans that you can think of? Like, just do it, right? Once you pop, you can't stop. Once one pops, you know, one, we know that one, not, one cannot stop. Man, I stumbled through that one. Um, you can't eat just one. The quicker, swiffer, picker-upper, or whatever that one is, what is that one? Here, listen, listen to some of these ad slogans and listen to the spiritual language that comes out of these. I just jotted a couple down. Coke, for a very long time, uh, their slogan was open happiness. Do you remember that one? Open happiness. See, I was under the impression I was just opening a Coke, but apparently inside that can, there's happiness for me. See, Coke is appealing to the spiritual side of me. Between love and madness lies obsession. I think that's Calvin Klein. I think that's what it's for. Like, Calvin Klein is not appealing to the physical part of me. Calvin Klein is appealing to the spiritual part of me, talking about love. I get that from the Spirit of God inside of me, that I am a spirit. Uh, your imagination is from your spirit. God is creative, and he can create. Animals can't do that. God can, and you can, because you're made in the image of God. So GE's slogan is imagination at work, appealing to your spirit. How about this one? I am made of blue sky and golden light, and I will feel this way forever. Isn't that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life? Is that, I think that's just so stupid. Like, who comes up with this stuff? How about Mercedes-Benz? 
Mercedes-Benz slogan is engineered to move the human spirit. See, what they're telling us is if you buy this car or if you buy this new TV or whatever, you can solve your internal spiritual problems. And all the while, God is going, I created you and your internal spiritual problem, your spiritual apathy, your spiritual loneliness, whatever's going on with you spiritually can only be solved by me because I'm spirit. That car is not spirit. You know, that cologne is not spirit. That ab roller is not spirit. And we do this in church too, unfortunately. We create structures that help us feel better on the outside and bring relief to our spiritual problem, but they don't bring rescue. They bring, uh, they bring temporary kind of dealing with the symptoms, but they don't really get to the heart and the core of what's going on. It's like rubbing neosporin, neosporin on a cancerous tumor. No matter how much neosporin you put on it, it's never going to solve the internal problem you've got. And in church, that neosporin is called obedience. Now, I'm not anti-obedience. We'll get there here in a minute. We'll get to obedience here in a minute. But what happens is what we do is we kind of go through the motions on the outside to make us feel better about our spiritual predicament inside. We go to church. We give a little money. We go to a Bible study. We show up at the Greater Toronto Spiritual Life Conference, which is 7 to 9 p.m. tonight. Bucks and Cavian Toronto Mass Choir will be here. That's my commercial, by the way. And we do all these things to make us feel better on the inside. And all the while, we're going, it's not fixing my problem. I mean, it makes me feel good for a time. I feel like I've impressed God, and I feel like I've done the right thing spiritually, and I'm going through the right motions spiritually, but, but it's not really solving my problem. I still feel disjointed. I still feel this ache. I still feel this longing inside of me. The me that's really me still is getting my needs met. And God goes, yeah. Because I'm your need. I'm the only one that can meet your need because I'm spirit. See, this was Nicodemus. This was Nicodemus. Nicodemus wasn't looking to solve his spiritual problem with like crazy sin stuff and carnality and like kind of going off the, uh, the, the deep end on this one side of the equation. That wasn't Nicodemus. Nicodemus was trying to solve his spiritual problem by acting spiritual on the outside but not really connecting with God on the inside. And I love Nicodemus because he runs to the place that we all need to run to when we have a spiritual predicament, and that's to Jesus. He runs to Jesus, and he has this conversation with Jesus in John chapter 3, and now we're going to pull these three principles about Nicodemus' heart posture before God and three questions that we can ask of ourselves to help us move down the track spiritually. So let's look up here on the screen, John chapter 3. John writes this, that there was a ruler of the Pharisees named or a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We've talked about Pharisees in here before, but remember, Nicodemus is a religious professional. He gets paid to be ultra-spiritual. He's like me, okay? I hate, to, I hate to do that. I hate to say, like, and put all pastors in that same box, but that's the best I've got in terms of understanding what Nicodemus does for a job. He's a Pharisee. He's paid to be spiritually awesome. So he's a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, now I love the fact that Nicodemus comes by night, don't you? What uh, Bible scholars tell us is that Nicodemus knows that he's going to get kind of frowned upon by his colleagues and peers because he goes to Jesus. So he goes to Jesus at night, and he goes, look, here's the deal. I know that you're a teacher coming from God. Now, now, I might get made fun of, or I might get ostracized or whatever by saying this to you. That's why I've come here at night, so nobody knows. 
But I know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now, there are so many declarations about Jesus in the scripture that are wonderful. Thomas, after he touched the nail scars in Jesus' hands after resurrection, he declared, my Lord and my God. Oh, man, it's like, he was like elated. You know, this is great. Peter, the very first one to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, this declaration by Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is not one of those, is it? (laughs) He's like, you seem like a pretty good guy. And you seem like you know what you're talking about, and I'm pretty sure that there's nobody that can do the magic tricks that you're doing unless they're from God. But see, Jesus doesn't write Nicodemus off. Jesus doesn't say, look, until you get to be like Peter, you can say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or until you get to be like Thomas when you say, my Lord and my God. Until you can declare me Master and Lord and all these things, until you can do all of that stuff, I'm not interested in talking to you. In fact, Jesus spends the rest of the chapter just sitting with Nicodemus and talking about spiritual life. See, the level of spiritual honesty that Nicodemus brings to the table is really refreshing here. It's really refreshing for Jesus. Nicodemus doesn't pretend. He doesn't put on airs. He doesn't say, Jesus, I know you're this or I know you're that. He says, here's, the, here's what little I know. Here's what little I bring. I know you're smart, and I know you're doing some crazy stuff that only somebody could do if God was with them. That's all I know. Well, would you talk to me a little bit about it? See, I don't know about you, but I really love this about God. This means that I can come to God with a great deal of spiritual honesty. I can let down my entire guard before him. Do you know that? Like, you don't have to put on airs. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to, like, use churchy language when you talk to God. You can be totally spiritually honest. I love listening to people try to use churchy language that, that you know, it's like they're clearly putting on airs. Like, Lord, holy Lord, you are holy. Holily art thou, O Lord. You are 10 pounds of holy in a five-pound bag, Lord. That's you. You are holy. Like, this is not Nicodemus. Like, he's not trying to do that. He just says, look, here's what I know, and I've come to you to ask you to instruct me. I know you've got something that that I don't have. Talk to me. Man, this is so refreshing for you and me today that we can be totally honest before God and let down our guard and just talk to him about where we're at spiritually. So here's our very first question. Ready? Where's your red dot? Where's your red dot? I, I got lost in the mall on Friday. Uh, I get lost in the mall and in the grocery store all the time. So every mall looks the same. You ever realize that? It's like it's a Banana Republic and it's an Orange Julius. and Do they even have Orange Julius anymore? It's like the same trinket stores and the Apple store and all that stuff. I'm like, I'm turned around and I have no idea where I'm at. And when you're lost in the mall with your two and a half year old little girl, which I was, daddy lost. I'm like, no, I am not, babe. I am absolutely not lost. Excuse me, ma'am. Could you tell me directions somewhere? No. Um, What happens when you're in a mall and you're lost? What do you look for? The directory, right? And on the directory, it shows all the stores and it shows the escalators and the elevators and the washrooms. And then it shows this big red dot. And on that red dot, there's three little words. And what is it? You are here, right? This is the great news about our conversations with God. And what we learn from Nicodemus is that I can come to God and talk to him about exactly where I'm at. Because unless you name where you currently are, you have no idea how to get to where you're going, right? So we can just come to God and say, God, Here is my red dot. Here is where I am right now. Not where I'm going to be tomorrow, not where I'm going to be next week, not where I want to be 
you know, 20 years from now or 50 years from now, but right now I am spiritually ecstatic. I feel spiritually renewed and restored. God, right this second, I feel spiritually apathetic and indifferent. I, I feel spiritually distant. And the great news about God is he's not listening to you going, you know what? I am surprised to hear that. That's pretty bad. I, I, would, I would have never thought that about you. You need to fix that. That's not what God is thinking. What is he thinking? Awesome. Now that we are honest with each other, now that you've just come to me and not put on airs, you tell me exactly where you're at, your red dot. Now that we're talking about it, now we can get somewhere. Isn't that great? It's the kind of gracious God that we have. Just be really straightforward and honest with him. So one of my encouragements to you this morning is to ask yourself that question. And, and it might take you a little bit to define. It might take you a little bit to wrap some language around. But I would encourage you to just pick one, maybe two words. Just a couple words that define where you're at spiritually right now. And take a cue from Nicodemus. Be really, really honest before God. You're not going to surprise him. And he's going to love you no matter what and help you move forward. Where is your red dot? Where are you right now? Be honest before God. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, and by the way, this is supposed to be a joke. This is first century Palestinian humor coming at you right here, okay? You're going to laugh hysterically. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, apparently you don't get first century Palestinian humor. Totally legitimate question, by the way. Like, Jesus, I'm not sure if you're aware of the math here, but the only way that, like, a person our age, and, you know, Jesus in his 30s at this point, can get back into mom's womb is, you know, how exactly does this work? Like, Nicodemus can explain this to me. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's the flesh, and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, this is amazing to me. Watch this. This word spirit, three times in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, three times and, uh, and a whole bunch more times throughout the rest of the chapter. In the Greek, it's the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. We pronounce it pneuma. Any guesses as to what its Old Testament Hebrew counterpart might be? Ruach. Jesus is saying, look, Nicodemus, God is spirit, wind, breath. And if you come to him with a level of spiritual honesty, what you can expect is spiritual restoration. You can expect spiritual renewal. You can expect to be reborn spiritually. And for some of you in this room, if you've never met Jesus in a personal way and, 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 and you've never come to Jesus in repentance and faith and said, I'm going to leave kind of this old life and follow you and trust you for my salvation, what you need is spiritual rebirth. You need to be born again. This is what Jesus is saying. Born a second time. Born spiritually. It doesn't mean entering back into your mother's womb and being born a second time. It means spiritual rebirth, given a new life spiritually. And there's this old kind of um, illustration that Southern Baptist preachers where I grew up in West Texas used to use, and it preaches really well, but it's decidedly unbiblical. So stick with me here. Here's the illustration that they used to use. You know, if you're not a Christian, it's like spiritually you are in the middle of this ocean, 
and there's no lifeboat and there's no uh, ship to come save you and you try to do things on your own and you work hard and then you go under the water and you're about to drown and then you fight your way back to the surface. And then you go under the water again and you fight your way back to the surface. And then you go underwater a third time and just as you're about to drown, God reaches down and saves you from drowning. Now it preaches really well, especially if you've got that big preacher voice, which I don't have. I'm a little nasally, but that's beside the point. But it's not a biblical notion. In fact, the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So if you want to use that illustration to help us understand where we're at spiritually before Jesus, well, it's like you're dead on the bottom of the ocean and decomposing. That's what it's like. And Jesus comes to Nicodemus and he goes, but I can give you rebirth, a new spirit. I can give you kind of this I can, I can regenerate you. I can give you new birth. It's not that you were almost dead, as they say in the Prince, Princess Bride, mostly dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and I can give you new birth. And that's, for some of us, the spiritual renewal that Jesus is offering and inviting you to right now here today, is new life in him, to accept the penalty, accept the punishment that he took in your place on the cross, and to trust him by faith, and find new life and spiritual rebirth. But for some of us, what we need today is spiritual restoration. What we need today is, is a renewal that Jesus is offering. Like He talks about a fresh wind of the Spirit, and it's blowing where it pleases. We need God to just kind of pass through our hearts and pass through our lives and, and breathe into us new life and give us spiritual restoration. But what happens is, and I mentioned this before, is that instead of running to God to solve our spiritual problem, we look for relief and not rescue. We have spiritual brokenness and spiritual funk and spiritual difficulty and spiritual challenges going on inside. And we're lonely and we're disconnected from God and disconnected from others. And as Paul would say, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I do, I don't want to do. And we're feeling this internal conflict. And instead of running to God for spiritual renewal and restoration, we run to sin. Or we don't run to just outright sin to make ourselves feel better and get relief. Sometimes we run to stuff that's kind of benign, that's kind of amoral. We run to the gym. Or we run to another person. Or we run to a banana nut muffin. And then the gym. <laughs> or we run to Holt Renfrew. Or we run to Instagram and our iPhone and Facebook. What's going on inside is a spiritual problem that only God can solve because God is spirit and he made you spirit. But what we do is we look for relief and not rescue and things outside of ourselves. And see, here's what I would call those things. I call those things yellow flags. That's what I call those things. There's these caution flags. And so I would ask uh, this question this morning and encourage you to ask it. What are your yellow flags? What are the things that you run to when you're feeling broken, lonely, tired, exhausted spiritually, where do you run? Where do you run? And listen to me. Listen so close. Some of these things may very well not be bad things or sin things. They may just be things. Like going to the gym is not a bad thing. Banana nut muffins are really not a bad thing. They're fantastic. But listen, they are never going to solve your spiritual problem, are they? 
never going to solve it. So go to the gym, have a banana nut muffin, go to Holt Renfrew, and buy an iPhone 7. That's fine with me. That's up to you. That's between you and God. That's not the big deal. The issue is if you expect those things to solve your spiritual problem, they never will. What Jesus says is you need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. And so my exhortation to you this morning, my invitation is be able to recognize those yellow flags. I've got some in my own life. I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> but I've got some in my own life where I know that if I run to that thing when I'm tired, stressed out, alone, exhausted, spiritually kind of on the fringe a little bit, instead of running to Jesus, it's a little bit of a caution flag and God's going, hey, hey come back here. Come back here. Because it's only me, it's only me that can remedy that spiritual brokenness that you're going through. Keep reading, last one, here we go, verse 7. Uh, Do not marvel that I said to you, Jesus says, don't be shocked, like don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. So it should not shock us that we need to be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now watch this. I think this is absolutely fantastic. Jesus is saying that everyone who is born of the Spirit, everyone who's been given spiritual rebirth and renewal and new life in Christ. Now watch this. They have a little bit of a sixth sense spiritually. When the wind kind of blows, they can kind of sense it. They can kind of feel it. And understand, I'm not talking about Sixth Sense, like the movie that Bruce Willis was in. Like, he was, he was dead the whole time, by the way. Let me ruin it for you real quick if you haven't seen it. Um, so don't, you don't need to watch it. I'm talking about kind of a spiritual sensitivity where we can see the Spirit of God at work in places in our life. And where we can sense that God is nudging us and moving us and reminding us and calling us to himself. Jesus says, everyone that's born of the Spirit, they might not know where the wind is coming from. They might not know where the breath is coming from. They not, might not know where the Spirit, the Ruach, is coming from, but they know when it's there, and they go, ah, that's it, because they've got a spiritual sensitivity. So here's my question for you. When do I see my Spirit interacting with God's Spirit, or when does my Spirit, where does my Spirit sense God's Spirit? For some of you, it's in times of worship in a body where people gather and they sing out to God and you know that something inside of you is stirring. You can't touch it, you can't taste it, you can't feel it, you can't see it, but something inside of you is stirring. And for those of you who sense God's spirit in worship, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for some of you, you're going, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> for some of you, it's in creation, in God's creation outdoors. Do you remember God's creation before it was covered in snow? Do you remember that? It used, to, it used to have, like, grass and trees and stuff. Now my driveway is like a skating rink, and my rear end hurts from falling on it a lot. But even those pieces of God's creation can stir up our affections for Jesus and give us a sense of spiritual sensitivity, and we can notice that God is at work in his creation. This is where obedience now comes into play. Not obedience as a, I'm going to impress God with my obedience, but when I obey God, God's spirit goes, awesome, keep it up. You're into, go, go, do it again. Yes, well done. See, and we sense God's spirit delighted even in our submission to him and our placing our lives before him. There's so many places that you can sense God's spirit, even just around a table. 
enjoying great dinner with friends. It's a place where we can sense God's spirit. And if you've been given rebirth, renewal in Jesus, here's a, here's a newsflash. You've been given spiritual sensitivity. Stop squashing it. Pay attention to it. Stop telling yourself lies in your head. I feel like God is moving. I feel like God is doing something. And I feel like God is stoking my affections for him or calling me to something. But that's a little weird and creepy. And I don't want to say that out loud. So I'm just going to squash it and put it in this compartment in the back of my head because I don't want to be perceived as weird and creepy. You're not weird and creepy. You've got spiritual sensitivity. And that's a gift from God where you can sense where and when he's moving you and calling you to himself. So here's the deal. As we grow as a community spiritually and as we grow as individuals and families this year, I would invite you to ask those three questions of yourself really, really regularly. Where's my red dot? And get spiritually honest with God. What are my yellow flags? What are the caution flags that God waves in my life and he goes, you're off the beaten path here, buddy. Come back to me. I'm the only one that can solve your spiritual problem. And then when and where is you? Does your spirit sense the moving of God's spirit? Run away from those yellow flags and run to those places where you sense God moving. Here's what we're going to do as we close. We're going to do two things to kind of allow God to move in our spirits and by his spirit here in our midst. Those two things are receiving communion and singing together. Ushers are going to stand and go to the back and kind of prepare communion. But for those of you who have maybe never seen this before, this is a 2,000-year-old tradition that we practice in the church. Jesus instituted it 2,000 years ago at Passover meal. He was having dinner with his disciples, and he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this bread represents my body. Take and eat and remember me, my body that's given for you. So it's a representation of the body of Christ. And then the cup, the representation of the blood of Christ that was shed for us to give us new spiritual life, to restore and redeem the us that's really us. So that's what we're doing when we celebrate. You don't have to be a regular attender here. You don't have to be a member here to celebrate communion. We practice what's called open table. What that means is if you've said yes to Jesus and come to him in repentance and faith, we invite you to come to the Lord's table with us. For those of you who maybe have never done that, we invite you to pass on this part of the service and just sing and reflect and listen. But for those who Call Christ Lord. This is our opportunity to remember him together and sing a very spiritually honest song that so many of us, or all of us, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, can sing, Lord, I need you. As the ushers come forward, let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your presence here with us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for making us spirit so that you can have a relationship with us. Thank you for sending your son to the cross to redeem us, to pay a price, to ransom us, to call us sons and daughters of the king. God, even in this moment, may a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit blow in this place. May we sense that you are here with us by your spirit. In Christ's name. We invite you to hold those elements as the ushers distribute, and we'll take them together in just a few moments. Lord, I come, I confess.
of God find their yes in Jesus. Our needs, our wants, our deepest longings and desires, even those that we can't name, met in Christ. 
ransomed us, gave himself for us, gave his body and blood, redeem us and call us his own. These elements that we hold in our hand represent the price that he paid. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he was having supper with his disciples, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this bread represents my body, which is given for you. Take, eat, and remember me. Let's remember the Lord together. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents a new covenant, which is ratified in my blood. Take, drink, and remember me. Let's remember the Lord together. Scripture says that every time we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Would you stand with us? We're just going to sing a couple of choruses in response here.